You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll get to those stories in just a moment, but first some breaking news in Surrey where RCMP are investigating a hit and run involving a cyclist. It happened shortly before 3 this afternoon in the 16,000 block of 64th Avenue. Witnesses say the cyclist was struck by an SUV and knocked into the ditch. The victim was taken to hospital with what's believed to be serious injuries. The driver allegedly fled the scene, but it's believed police tracked the SUV to a residence in Surrey. Now to TransLink and a problem on the horizon that will likely result in more headaches for those who rely on public transit. It appears the company was short-sighted when constructing the Canada Line. Ted Trenecki explains what the CEO has said about the size of the stations and the implications. Ted. You know, there's a lot of development going along the Canby Street corridor right now. A lot of condos being sold or pre-sold, and people are buying them believing that they have a public transit system right under their feet, and they do. But accessing that uh, system could be difficult in the very near future. They are building it, and they will come. Up and down Canby Street, medium and high-rise condos are going up, and future residents are being sold in a lifestyle that includes easy access to public transit. But not so fast. There's an element of buyer beware here, because already there are times when the Canada Line is at capacity. It's quite busy sometimes because when you're coming from the airport, all the tours are coming in, and it's like sometimes there's no room. I really thought the way it was sought through was really short-term. And, you know, it'll, it'll end up costing people a lot of money to uh, retrofit in the long term. They're not alone in their thinking. TransLink's CEO agrees. He recently said so at a Surrey Board of Trade luncheon. Canada Line's a little tricky because the stations, candidly, I can say this, I wasn't here, were underbuilt. So it's a little bit of, of a challenge, ultimately, how much throughput we can get on Canada Line. But at least in the near term, for the ne next 10, 15 years, we think just adding cars. I, I think increasing the number of trains uh, solves the problem for the next few decades. It is a bigger problem for the longer term. And, and that's where, when we do these big projects, when we look at the Broadway subway and Surrey light rail, we have to think 100 years out. For those who haven't taken the Canada Line, check it out. These platforms are indeed small. The next station is King Edward. Two cars maximum, with no room built to extend without it being costly and disruptive. I mean, my sense with the Canada Line was it was kind of scrimping and saving and not thinking long term. There, there were a number of decisions at the time made like that. Uh, the planning in the corridor wasn't done in advance, which, yeah. you know, we're, we're doing that differently now. The number of potential commuters at this one development alone at Southwest Marine Drive in Camby is enough to fill several Canada Line two car trains. The next big tunneling project is right here along the Broadway Street corridor, and no one wants to make that same mistake twice, so this time they're planning for 100 years out. Back to you. I would think. All right, Ted Trenecki reporting. Ted, thank you. We're learning more tonight about a home shot up over the weekend in West Vancouver's upscale British properties. Neighbors say it's a rental, often used for parties. And as Tanya Beja reports, some say it's part of a larger problem. It's an unusual scene on a street lined with multi-million dollar properties. One West Vancouver home shattered by bullets. It's, it's scary. It's very scary. Yep. Oh, it should never happen in this area. No, i never seen such, such a thing. Police say the shooting happened during a house party around 3 a.m. Sunday. According to neighbours, it was one of many nightly gatherings here in the past two months. Not lots, but uh, maybe 10 or 15 people 
at the night they have a party here. But every time it seems to be different groups of people. The home sold in 2015 for nearly $5 million. According to land title records, the owner is Ji Chen Kao, but the home is registered to the Richmond address of this rental management company. We never saw anyone living there, it's usually empty. Residents say it's one of several homes left vacant by owners in the British properties. Some, like this one, listed for rent at 8500 a month, another down the street for 12000 It's unclear who was using the Finch Hill property the night of the shooting because nobody was inside when police arrived. While we don't have information on a motive, we also don't have any information to suggest that this attack was in any way random. Nobody was injured, and police are hoping surveillance video will help lead them to the suspects. Tanya Beja, Global News. After spending six days in a coma, an American woman who was seriously injured in a car crash in Surrey has now died. 42-year-old Mariam Ghali of Bellingham was traveling with her family in Surrey last Sunday when their Honda CRV rolled into a ditch on King George Boulevard. Witnesses say the van was cut off by a motorcycle. Ghali is survived by her husband and two young children. Everybody used to call her the angel of our church. As a community, we are so close to each other. We consider themselves as, as a family. We are a family. And, uh, you know, to, 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 lose, to lose such wonderful person is tough. It's not easy for, for everybody. It's been a challenging few days for search and rescue crews as lower mainlanders get out and take advantage of the sunshine and dry conditions. Problem is, many are heading out unprepared, unaware of how quickly conditions can change, especially in the backcountry. John Wall reports. As this injured hiker is hoisted up into the air, he's got a lot to be thankful for. After a long, cold night in the woods atop Mount Harvey. He got very cold before we got to him last night, uh, quite hypothermic, as well as his back and possible broken hip. The call for help first coming from the west ridge of the mountain near Lines Bay at about 4 p.m. Sunday. The hiker falling from steep terrain, suffering injuries to his hip and back in the fall. As rescue teams attempted to pull him out with a long line extraction, the darkness started to creep in. Unfortunately, we ran out of daylight, so we did a simultaneous uh, insertion of a ground team. Those ground rescuers camping out with the hiker overnight, doing their best to fight off the cold. It was an uneven slope. We couldn't actually put a tent up over him, so everyone was just kind of wedged against trees all night. Lions Bay and North Shore Rescue performing a similar extraction just last week. While long lines are a lifesaver, fading hours of daylight, making it less of an option. We're looking at about 7 o'clock and the sun is completely down and the temperature drops drastically. The changing seasonal conditions that are making it more of a challenge for rescue crews also driving people to get out in nature, hoping to get in one last hike. It's the overdue hikers, people that don't bring a light source that get caught by darkness. And then it's also people that are going on hikes that are um, completely unprepared for those hikes. This rescue, the hiker not wearing enough layers for dropping temperatures, let alone a night in the woods. He had spent a long time in one position, not wearing very much. The clothing was too light. And while the window for a nice day hike might be closing, so is the time frame for rescuers trying to save lives. John Hua, Global News.
Tomorrow marks World Mental Health Day, raising awareness about mental health issues, including those on the job. Experts say our experience in the workplace is one of the factors determining overall well-being. Grace Key explains how in one of the most stressful jobs, the culture is changing to encourage employees to ask for help. Being a first responder is anything but routine. We've heard how the opioid crisis has been taking a toll on the mental health of emergency crews, but any call can be a trigger. It could be anything. It could be, you know, you've just gone to too many uh, car crashes. You've gone to too many uh, shootings or stabbings. You've gone to too many heart attacks. It, everybody, Everybody's different. So, uh, there's more of a cumulative effect to, to a lot of the stressors that we see. Stationed in Vancouver's downtown east side, Alan Pruden has been a paramedic for 17 years. He was one of the first to take part in the paramedic resiliency course. It's helped him find healthy releases when dealing with stress. The, the biggest thing is self-awareness, is, is to, to see yourself showing the signs. And we also learn to sort of take care of each other as well. Psychological injury is the second highest reason paramedics go on long-term disability. So far, 500 of the 4,000 paramedics, dispatchers and call takers have taken the resiliency program. The employer would like to see all its members go through it. You know, the culture has changed. It hasn't changed um, to the degree that we would like it to. There are still people that are worried about telling people they need help, and that's partly why we want to be proactive. When paramedics respond to a particularly traumatic call, a team will reach out to them. Out of 700 calls last year, about half resulted in counselling. I've had that call a few times, and sometimes you're like, oh, no, I'm fine. But other times it's like, hey, you know what, thanks, thanks for the call. And just even sometimes that call itself is all it takes. It's just to know that somebody else there truly has your back. Grace Key, Global News. Everyone can use a little help from time to time. A little kindness and understanding goes a long way. And today being Thanksgiving is the perfect opportunity to give thanks and give back. As Jennifer Palmer reports, the line separating the two is finer than many think. The need is ever-present, stretching down the block in Vancouver's Union Gospel Mission. I'm hungry, so I want to be part of Thanksgiving. Well, I um, have family in the Yukon, but I'm down here to help my son move into a supportive living housing. 3,000 meals will be served this Thanksgiving in the hopes of changing lives. That's what happened for Tim Clausen. Oh, I was living the Canadian dream. Um, you know, with the, the house and <clears throat> the uh, kids and uh, the cars and annual trips. Tim was a mortgage broker under a lot of pressure. He coped by using alcohol. Eventually, he lost everything, including his family. My plan was to basically drink myself to death. Uh, I called it death under the installment plan. <laughs> Tim found the help he needed at the UGM. For the past two years, he's been sober and is now back on his feet, and it was all because of one meal. We welcome them in. They come in, they realize people care about them, there is hope, and then hopefully we can connect them to some of our life-changing programs, and the meal can be a start of changing somebody's life. My life is, was given back to me, and uh, so now it's time for me to give back. Many of those here have come through these doors and benefited from this Thanksgiving meal. It's a really humbling experience to be here today. 
but um, on the other note, it's a real, I'm really got a lot of gratitude on days like this. It's a meal that wishes everyone a happy Thanksgiving. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Would you like some Global BC, of course, had a chance to give back today at the Union Gospel Mission. Sophie Louie, who you saw there, Sonia Sunger, the morning anchor, and me as well, serving up some of the hundreds of Thanksgiving meals to those in need. We had a great time helping out, always thankful for the invitation to come down there and serve and meeting some amazing people. Mm-hmm. Well, Sanish residents are certainly thankful that someone finally turned the water off. It was a rude awakening on the long weekend for dozens of people when a 40-centimeter water main ruptured, creating a lake on one of the region's main roads. What engineers are doing to fix it in just over a minute. This is my neighborhood in flames. It's terrifying as fast-moving wildfires sweep into California wine country. What they're doing to save people and property coming up. And the downfall of a Hollywood heavyweight. The allegations against Harvey Weinstein too numerous to ignore. That's later on the news hour. Well, it's been an eventful Thanksgiving for residents of a Saanich neighborhood. They awoke this morning to 45,000 liters of water flowing through their street. As Niju Garcha reports, the fact that it's a holiday has complicated the cleanup. This Saanich thoroughfare closed after a large pipe burst open. A 16-inch water main ruptured around 8 a.m. A little nervous when you see that much water coming in your backyard. Flooding yards and even getting into some houses. About six of them, the district says, have water damage. And then after I looked around, I said, holy mackerel, sure, I looked outside. And then I looked outside. The incident also leaving people in about 30 homes without running water. My wife came to me uh, saying we had no water when she went to go have a shower. And a uh, little miffed myself, I took a look outside and saw a nice big lake uh, in our front yard. So We don't have anything, so no shower. So you have to say actually every last drop we do have of water. So what caused this district-owned pipe to rupture? As homeowners are asked to contact their insurance companies, the cause remains unknown. And officials say it could take a few weeks to determine if it has to do with the age of the pipe or a nearby reservoir drain installed this summer. And most of the time we're able to isolate it quickly and not experience too much damage. Um, unfortunately, a, a water main of this size is a, uh, something that can cause damage much, qu- much quicker. Also challenging today is a stat holiday, so it did take some time for city crews to get to the scene and start working on these repairs and assessing the damage. There's some damage to the sidewalk panels, and then we also have some sediment that made its way into our drainage system that we'll have to clear out. As for cost of cleanup and who's liable for this mess, too soon to say, according to the district. And though it's not the Thanksgiving Monday these residents expected... Luckily, still had enough water to bake banana bread. The flood hasn't drained them of their gratitude. Neetu Garcha, Global News, Saanich. A new distraction for Donald Trump. I'm basically first Trump wife, okay? <laughs> I'm first lady, okay? <laughs> <laughs> what his first wife said and how the first lady responded later. And California faces another major threat from wildfires with whole neighborhoods already destroyed. California wine country is on fire. At least 1,500 buildings have burned. Tens of thousands of people have been evacuated. At least 10 have been killed. 
Many more people are injured and officials say they expect more fatalities. The explosive speed of the fires makes evacuation very difficult, even impossible as we know now in some cases. NBC's Joe Fryer has the latest. Across Northern California, fires fury powered by winds the likes of a tropical storm, gusts topping 50 miles an hour. Hell on earth. It's, it's, it's insane. I've never seen anything like it. The governor has declared a state of emergency, mobilizing the National Guard to join the thousands of firefighters already on the front lines. Stop the pressure! At least 15 major fires are burning in eight counties, including the so-called Tubbs Fire, which quickly grew overnight from 200 acres to more than 25,000. This is my neighborhood in flames. Forcing thousands to flee with minutes to spare. It's horrible. I, I, I couldn't stay because I couldn't breathe. California's Highway Patrol used helicopters to rescue more than 40 people who were trapped. In Santa Rosa, wine country's largest city, two hospitals had to evacuate, one of them moving 130 patients, rushing the most critical to safety through heavy smoke as an entire neighborhood nearby went up in flames. This wind and this fire behavior is, is relentless at the moment. So far across the region, at least 1,500 homes and businesses now destroyed. I've lived here for 26 years, raised my kids here. <laughs> pictures are gone. Everything. Will and Bev Buchanan were hoping to retire in their home. Late today they learned it did not survive, but they're grateful they did. Tonight more houses are burning. The massive scope of destruction still unclear. Well, Thanksgiving weekend is traditionally one of the busiest of the year for hunting in BC. And while the vast majority of hunters follow the rules, there are some who don't. Jeff Hastings reports on how police and conservation officers are trying to stop the bad ones before they hit the wrong target. A check stop in Boston Bar. Not so much looking for booze on your breath, but for the buck in the back of your truck. Let's go with the... Conservation officers and Mounties searching for compliance with hunting and fishing regulations with firearm and boating safety rules. It's actually been a very good weekend as far as compliance goes. I'm very satisfied. There's uh, always uh, some things, mostly it's mistakes. Oh, good. Okay, you want to go and see these nice folks here? Most people are in a great mood. If they're stopped here, it's probably because their hunt was a success. Uh, my daughter, who's 13, in the back of the truck, got a uh, doe yep. on Saturday, and that's it. The rest of us got skunked. <laughs> what did you learn? Uh, I learned to be like safe with a gun, how to ha handle it properly, uh, where to shoot it, and where like not to shoot it. Tickets are being issued, but mostly for minor things. Some of the hunters here today were expecting this roadblock to be somewhere near Cache Creek like it was last year. This year, of course, in Boston Bar. They don't resent seeing the conservation officers here. In fact, a lot of them told us today they wish there were more of them. I really look forward to seeing them. I ask them into camp, offer them a cup of coffee, breakfast, whatever time yeah. it is. You bet they're doing a job, and it's a job that's necessary. It's yeah. a huge province, and, uh, you know, we cover what we can. But it'd be great to have more of us. It's open season on almost everything, so it's busy, which is the idea, because today isn't just about enforcement, it's about reminding everyone that rules are in place and the conservation officers are out there. Jeff Hastings, Global News, Boston Bar. Startling new information about the Las Vegas shooting. 
the security guard who first saw signs of trouble, and why it leads to new questions about how everything unfolded that night. Also tonight, tech giants turn tragedy into opportunity. How Elon Musk and others are involved in getting Puerto Rico back online. A stunning new revelation from Las Vegas police tonight, changing the timeline of last week's massacre. Police now say 64-year-old Stephen Paddock shot a security guard in the Mandalay Bay Hotel six minutes before he opened fire on concert goers. Now, officials had previously credited the guard who was shot in the leg with stopping the 10-minute assault by turning the gunman's attention to the hallway. Now they say they don't know why Paddock stopped his attack and shot himself, and they still have no motive. Hurricane Maria nearly wiped Puerto Rico off the map, and rebuilding the shattered power grid there is priority number one for the island's governor. He knows he can't do it himself, so he's accepting help from some of the most successful people in the tech industry. As Gabe Gutierrez reports, it's energizing the effort to remake Puerto Rico into something even better than before. Tonight, most of Puerto Rico is powerless. Water. We need water. Nearly three weeks after Hurricane Maria, 85% of the island still has no electricity. That's almost 3 million Americans. The three-star general spearheading military relief efforts says he'll take whatever help he can get. The power of America, my own belief, is not the federal government. It's the local government. It's private organizations all come together as one team to help people in a time of need. That help could be coming from big tech. Tesla founder Elon Musk saying he wants to help rebuild the island's power grid using solar technology. How long before this project gets off the ground? You know, we're getting our teams together uh, talking already. The potential partnership with Governor Ricardo Rosselló started last week over Twitter. We can't be thinking about just putting back up the old system. Uh, we need to take this opportunity uh, to remake the system, to be innovative. Other tech giants also want in. Google's parent company is sending massive balloons to restore cell service. Facebook is launching what it calls a connectivity team to the island. But for so many here, recovery seems far off. Giselle Rucker says she waited in a gas line for 17 hours the other day. Now she waits for food and water at a grocery store, chugging along on a generator. We have to wake up very early to go to the supermarket to get anything. She waits for the day she can tell her seven-year-old son they have power once more. Gabe Gutierrez, NBC News, Isabella, Puerto Rico. After a slow reaction to allegations of sexual harassment against one of the most powerful men in movies, Hollywood is speaking out against Harvey Weinstein now that he's been fired by his own company. Among them, actresses who have praised him from the award stage. Hollywood legends Meryl Streep and Judi Dench today distancing themselves from Harvey Weinstein, the man behind films that won them both Oscar gold. Weinstein fired this weekend from the company he co-founded after accusations of sexual harassment and inappropriate behavior. The Hollywood Reporter posting Weinstein emailed other movie executives for support, writing, I am desperate for your help. Streep, once in Weinstein's debt, 
Now telling the Huffington Post the behavior is inexcusable, but the abuse of power familiar. She and Dench say they didn't know. Dench offering sympathy and wholehearted support to those who have spoken out. Kate Winslet, who also won an Oscar for a Weinstein film, called his alleged actions disgraceful and appalling. As soon as he sat down, I recognized him. TV news reporter Lauren Savon didn't work for Weinstein, but says 10 years ago he cornered her in a deserted restaurant hallway. He leaned in to kiss me, and I... I pulled away. And Savon I said, says Weinstein blocked her way out and began to pleasure himself. I've told people this story, and a, a lot of the people that either knew him or had come in contact with him were never surprised. I got a lot of, that's Harvey. Harvey Weinstein is an example of a particularly boorish behavior, but he's not an outlier. This kind of behavior still goes on in the industry. A major fundraiser for the Democratic Party, 11 U.S. senators have given Weinstein's money to charity, but no word from Hillary Clinton or former President Barack Obama, a star maker whose own star has crashed. Ann Thompson, NBC News, New York. Baltimore police have arrested a man in a bizarre case of road rage. Yes, that's a man clinging to the front of a moving school bus. It happened in Maryland, the man trying to get onto the bus after claiming someone had thrown a bottle at his car. When the driver pulled away, he jumped on the front. He's now facing charges including disorderly conduct and destruction of property. And police aren't trying to find the suspects in this break-in at a Colorado business. Over the weekend, a mother bear and her two cubs got into Antonio's Real New York Pizza by ripping a wall out of the drive-thru. They opened cabinets and helped themselves to salami and pizza dough. The owner isn't blaming the bears, but the town's decision to bear-proof its dumpsters. He says that's forcing the bears to find food in other ways, including breaking into businesses. In Health Matters tonight, new research sheds more light on children with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. The University of Central Florida study has found that fidgeting and other movements help children with ADHD learn. As part of the study, they had boys aged 8 to 12 watch two videos on separate days, an instructional math lesson and a scene from a Star Wars movie. Well, during the movie, the boys with ADHD didn't squirm any more than other children. And while all children moved around more for the math video, boys with ADHD moved around twice as much. The study supports the benefits of movement for people with ADHD. I know I'm the kid on the left. For sure. <laughs> Rafe Mayer, fondly remembered by even his adversaries. He had an opinion on every issue. Tributes for the BC-born provocateur who always had something to say. And damage control at Dove after this ad misses the mark. What were they thinking? The backlash from a head-scratching ad for Dove after the forecast. Thanksgiving long weekend, a lot of people uh, outside and enjoying it yesterday, I know that. I've been inside the whole time today, mm -hmm. so uh, Christy joins us now with a look at conditions out there now. You missed and a nice one, Chris. I did, did I? Yeah. How about the work week? How's that looking? <laughs> Not so great, actually. Yeah, we've got a turn for the worst, that's for sure. Over the next couple of hours, we're starting to see the cloud cover as we speak as the front moves down. So generally this week, it is going to be cool and unsettled. I know that uh, we did a story about someone in the backcountry not necessarily being 
prepared for the cool weather. As soon as the temperatures drop, it drops this quite significantly now. And this week is going to be cool. And not only that, the, the temperature at higher elevation is also going to be chilly. Uh, by the way, we did have some snow on the mountain passes uh, this past weekend. And that will continue to be the trend over the next uh, couple of days as well. And I'll show you a couple of pictures in a second. But first, when we look at the Remax satellite, yes, nice and clear across the south. But northern Vancouver Island extending into Campbell River saw a fair amount of cloud today. It's a front that is moving very slowly. It has targeted uh, the Bella Coola, Prince George region with periods of rain today, and that's going to slip to the south. So the south coast region in particular, areas like Victoria, Metro Vancouver, will see rain tomorrow morning. I'll show you the timing in just a second, but in behind it, as I mentioned, uh, yes, that is our week. Cool with showers for much of the week. We will see that right and through until the end of uh, Thursday. So here's the timing. You can see the front is really quite thin, but it will certainly bring in some light rain to our region. So through the late commuting hours, right until about noon, we may be contending with that. And that extends up into areas like um, Williams Lake, Quinnell, and then over into the Columbia region as well. And then it shifts on and we start to get into more of a scenario where we're looking at mainly cloudy skies and a chance of showers. And that continues across the south coast. Now, uh, the bulk of the rainfall tomorrow for the south coast will be in the morning. Tomorrow afternoon, we may catch some breaks, but we return to a better chance of showers in the evening hours. I know it's that time of year where a lot of kids are getting out to play soccer, so keep that in mind, a chance of showers tomorrow evening. Possibility of some wet flurries in through the Fort Nelson region, chance of showers from Prince George South. So I know you saw a fair amount of rain today, Prince George, tomorrow much drier, the bulk of the rainfall shifting to these areas. Vail Mount, also the Columbia Mountains, expecting some snowfall today. Higher elevation mountain passes starting tomorrow night could see some snow once again. And for the south coast, again, or the commuting hours, but more so eight on is when you can expect that rainfall. And by the afternoon hours, drier conditions with possible breaks of sunshine. But again, that chance of showers returns Tuesday night through Thursday. Friday, definitely the bright spot. And our weather window for you tonight is, yes, looking back at the snow in the mountains. This is Manning Provincial Park. Justin sent us this one. And uh, I just wanted to mention, because they thought the trees were so cool. Those are golden larches. They almost look fluorescent with the coloring. Thanks, Justin. Against the white background. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Cool. Thanks, Christy. Well, Dove has generally been lauded for its real women advertising, but the company has been forced to apologize for its latest ad. Yes, the video shows a dark-skinned woman with Dove body wash pulling off her shirt to reveal a white woman. The white woman then pulls off her shirt to reveal a third woman, but the first part of the video and the gif that was released on social media had critics wondering what kind of a message Dove was trying to convey. The company now says the video was intended to show that Dove is for every woman, and it was supposed to be a celebration of diversity, but they got it wrong. Well, you can add one more controversial first to the presidency of Donald Trump, but this one has very little to do with the man himself. A war of words has broken out between Trump's current and former wives, something never seen before in Washington. If there's anything Ivana Trump knows how to do, it's grab headlines. And today she got an assist from the White House. Married for 15 years to Donald Trump, she is proud mother to Ivanka, Eric, and Donald Jr. Her divorce from Mr. Trump in 1991 was on the front pages of the New York tabloids for 11 days straight. Don't get mad, she famously said, get everything. In her new book, she says she tells her ex-husband he should tweet more. 
But it's what she said to ABC today that's sparking a very public war of words with the current Mrs. Trump. I have the direct number to the White House, but I don't really want to call him there because Melania is there and I don't want to cause any kind of jealousy or something like that because I'm basically first Trump wife, okay? <laughs> I'm first lady, okay? <laughs> Whether she was joking, it did not amuse Melania Trump, whose spokesperson shot back with an official statement. Mrs. Trump loves living in Washington, D.C. and is honored by her role as first lady. She plans to use her title and role to help children not sell books, she wrote. There is clearly no substance to this statement from an ex. This is unfortunately only attention-seeking and self-serving noise. And that is sure to help sell a lot more books. Cynthia McFadden, NBC News, New York. I can't wait to see what the historians will say about... <laughs> It's the Trump presidency. It's, it's a daily update. Really. <laughs> Does Marla Maples want to get involved? <laughs> I haven't heard from her yet. She should just yet. stay out of it, stay out of it. Yeah. All right. Uh, we have a great opportunity for you to check out the HSBC Canada Rugby Sevens. Of course, that's coming up in March. So uh, it's a big black marker uh, circled on Chris's calendar. No doubt about it. <laughs> this is turning into one of the great events on the calendar and it is so much fun to be there at bc place they're selling out like crazy and it's going to be a great one but also part of this prize package includes two tickets to the rugby sevens in hong kong in april so you get a one-two punch here in vancouver then you can also fly to hong kong and see the hong kong sevens there which is amazing more details on our website. This is uh, all valued at $9,000. So to enter, you'll need a special contest clue that's going to happen sometime during the news hour over the next couple of weeks. So watch for that. Well, daily over the next couple of weeks. So you got to watch daily. Then go to our website, globalnews.ca slash contests, and you can enter. So one clue every day. One clue every day over the next couple of weeks. Perfect. And bring a costume with you if you win. That's right. Fancy dress, you as they the like to, as they like to say. And you might need to take the Monday off just to, to recover. Yes, just recover. To recover. Trust me, if I was sitting where you're sitting right now, I'd be answering. <laughs> All right, what do you have for All us? All right, we're going to talk a little Canucks here. The great win over the Oilers. Nobody expected that on uh, Saturday, but people before and after the game still wondering why Brock Besser didn't play. I like Brock Besser. I think he's going to be a good young player for us. Travis Green on why Brock didn't get the dress for the Canucks on opening night. And one final word, appropriately, about the influence of radio icon Rafe Mayer. Today's ultimate rugby fan contest code word is TRY. Go online and enter the code word for your chance to win. Tune into Global News Hour at 6 tomorrow for another chance to win. Got to try to get all the clues. Yes. Okay. And win that trip. That'd be a good trip. Take it away. Okay. So before Saturday's win over uh, the Oilers, Canuck fans are rather upset at being Brock blocked. No Besser in the lineup. Four goals in nine games last season. Leading scorer in the preseason. Best shooter on the team. A team that needs power play goals. Now the Canucks won the game without him in the lineup. The lineup they dressed was great. But people are still wondering, why didn't Besser make that, get the play that night? I thought Brock got a little tired toward, toward the end of camp. I don't think he played his best hockey games the last two games, and, I, and it'd be hard for someone to argue that. But 
I'm not disappointed in that at all. Like, I like Brock Besser. I think he's going to be a good young player for us. But we got to do things right by him as well. And also by the team. You know, it's one game. And it might be another game. I'm not sitting here saying he's playing tomorrow. There's lots of people that have opinions, and I appreciate that. And someone's got to make the decision. And uh, it's not an easy one to make. Now, that win over Edmonton was unexpected, and so was the ice time of various forwards. How about this? Derek Dorsett playing more than Henrik and Daniel, and in this case, that was a good thing. He was a big reason Connor McDavid never got into the fast lane on Saturday. That element of speed, physicality, he gets in, he disturbs. Derek Dorsett's name wasn't in the goal scorer's column, and he wasn't one of the three stars of the game, but his impact was clearly evident. Dorsett left his mark at every end of the ice be it on the forecheck or being a royal pain in the you-know-what while shutting down Connor McDavid. He had a real strong game. Uh, six hits. Uh, it wasn't just his physicality. He was, he was smart away from the puck. He uh, did a good job being above. Uh, that's not an easy line to play against. And, uh, you know, he forechecked not just hard but smart. Had good sticks on his forecheck. Uh, just played a real good game. Dorsett's coming off a lost season of hockey. He skated in only 14 games last year before his season was shut down because of a serious neck injury. In December, he underwent cervical fusion surgery, which left him incapacitated for two months. Nearly a year after his career was in jeopardy, Dorset is back and ready to deliver some pain of his own making. I think I, I I knew you know after speaking with Travis and and Jim and all them that you know they wanted you know this year to be harder to play against and I think I can bring that stiffness and um, I can drag some guys into into the battles and um, so I wasn't I wasn't worried about where I was going to fit I was just worried about you know getting up to speed and making sure that I was ready for. You know whatever role they had for me he's been hungry to get back in obviously it's been a, a tough year last year with the injury he had and I thought uh, in the first game there he was he was great he's got that energy and that buzz to him and playing with them uh, that makes uh, your job pretty pretty simple as a centerman when your wingers uh, for checking like that and um, we can work pretty pretty well together I think so um, I'm just happy to have him back in the room and he's, uh, he's a big part of our dressing room too so uh, he's a big uh, big help for us Okay, instead of a magic number, here's a tragic number. The Lions are two losses away from missing the playoffs. They haven't missed them since 96. The last time they missed the playoffs, people talked about it on their Nokia banana phone. Here's the deal. Basically, the Lions must go 3-1 and one in their final four to have any shot. Even that might not be enough. Four straight wins to finish the year might not be enough. BC is now four points behind the Riders and the Eskimos for the final playoff spots in the CFL. Why? behind the Eskimos because after winning seven and losing six, all of those straight, the Eskimos finally broke that six-game losing streak. Is this bizarre enough? Whoops! What's with the birds flying through the frame? Anyway, that's Chris Edwards going the other way, and Edmonton breaks the long losing streak to move further ahead of the BC Lions. This is how it happened. It was kind of a catch by Ernest Jackson, and then... The other way for the TD. Bad news for BC. Red Sox, Astros, Red Sox need to win to keep this thing going. Josh Reddick cashes in a run right here. That gives Houston the lead 4-3. They go up 5-3, then it was 5-4, and then Dustin Pedroia, the last out on a wet day in Boston. 
the Astros move on to the American League Championship Series. As for this, we need one to tie it and two to win it. Let's get him! Bill Murray with the update on the score. It's 1-0. Now it's 1-1. Anthony Rizzo. Anybody. Anybody. Call for any. Oh. Run scores. Bill and the Cubs win. Put up the W. They're up 2-1 in the series. How about some hockey from earlier today? Avs and Bruins. Semyon Varlamov. Nice save here on David Pasternak. Almost goes in. That's why you do those leg presses. Keep it out. What's with the Avs? Good start to the season. Uh, Tuka Rask not so bright here. He's out. Nail Yakupov scores one of two. Shutout win for Colorado over Boston. There you go. Thank you, Squire. Thank you, sir. Let's Welcome. check in with Jay Durant now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jay. Thank you very much, Sophie. We have crews at the scene of that suspected hit and run in Surrey. There are reports that a cyclist was struck earlier this afternoon. We're waiting for more information from Surrey RCMP on both the details of the crash and uh, an update on the victim's condition. We'll have that story and the rest of the day's news tonight at 11. All right. Thanks, J.D. Sad news from the broadcast world and journalism world with news Rafe Mayer had passed the last word on this B.C. icon coming up next. He was a B.C. MLA and a cabinet minister, but he was best known as a broadcaster who wasn't afraid to stir things up. Nope. Former radio talk show host Rafe Mayer passed away this morning at the age of 85. Ted Field takes a look back at the life and career of a B.C. broadcasting legend. And a very pleasant Wednesday, the 15th of January, around the province of British Columbia. I'm Rafe Mayer. It could be a pleasant morning unless Rafe Mayer had you in his sights. Every politician has one strategy for the Rafe Mayer show. Run out the clock. Mayer made politicians and corporate leaders sweat during his long run as a radio talk show host. The blame for this has got to be dealt with sooner or later. In interviewing politicians, it was fun to watch. He knew the game better than they did. And he knew the issues better than they did. He could mop the floor with well-known politicians. Mayor was a lawyer and politician. He was also a social credit government environment minister. This is utterly and absolutely beyond me. And when he left government, he pounded politicians on issues like fish farms. He was a mentor. Rafe was really the first person to give me the opportunity to talk to British Columbia. And he was a big proponent of swearing. And he was a big proponent of just saying it like you see it. He had a pretty good temper at times. Uh, he was difficult to get along with for some people. But he had that great uh, compassion for British Columbia and for Canada. And I always respected that. Ray feared no politician, but he did have a major problem with CKNW's 21st floor studio. He had a, a fear of heights. Uh, so before any show started, before he could come into the studio, producer would have to come in and close all of the blinds here so he had so he couldn't see uh, kind of the height that he was at. Come on, Jackie. He hated heights, but loved the West Coast, and his final sign-off was bittersweet. You're fantastic. I hope we all get together to get again, and I hope it's very, very soon. God bless you. Rafe Mayer was 85. Ted Field, Global News. He was passionate. Sure was. Mm -hmm. BC, born and raised, mm -hmm. really passionate about the, about the issues in this mm -hmm. province. And, mm -hmm. uh, 
would have a lot to say about it right now. No doubt about it. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. All right, final word on the weather, KG? Sure, after a beautiful Thanksgiving day, we are in for rain tomorrow morning. It will be the late commuting hours that you'll see it probably starting around 8 a.m., continuing till about noon, some breaks of sunshine for your afternoon. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.